Well, good morning. Well done. You figured out the time change. You made it here. You look bright and alert. That's great. Um, I am Lindsay Anderson Beck. I am the youth minister here at San Marino Community Church, um, and I'm honored to be getting to preach with you this morning. Um, a few weeks ago, Pastor Jeff was in here preaching, and he mentioned how much more comfortable he feels in this space. And I have to disagree because I think it feels a lot more vulnerable to be up here where I can see all of your faces. I can see all of your expressions. Um, so I'm going to ask you if you keep them at like neutral and above, that would be really helpful. Um, but actually, this is the perfect setting for our um, topic today because that's focused on transformative relationships or the power of community. And there's a reason that it feels riskier to be in a smaller, closer setting like this one, right? Because you're going to see me and you're going to know me, and that's vulnerable. So I'm going to practice what I'm literally preaching. We are in our Lenten sermon series entitled Heart, Head, Hands. Um, Today we're talking about heart, which is focused on this um, being involved in transformative relationships. Uh, Next week, Pastor Jessica is going to talk to us about our heads, which we'll be very grateful for, um, and about kind of how we uh, transform our thinking, our daily thinking. And then the week after that, we'll be talking about hands, um, and that's going to be about mission, about taking any opportunities that we are given for mission. So today we're talking about heart, about transformative relationships. Now, when I first heard the name San Marino Community Church, I pictured in my head this quaint little community church in like a quaint little British style village, you know, where people walk past multiple times a day on their way to work or the shop or their friend's house for a cup of tea. Obviously, I was quite deluded. The first thing I noticed when I came here is just how big everything is, right? How spread apart everything is. Um, And indeed, all of San Marino is pretty spread apart. In those quaint little English villages, you can walk for 10 minutes and pass maybe 60 houses. And here you could walk for 10 minutes and pass maybe four or something like that. (laughs) But this isolation is not unique to San Marino. Um, L.A. as a city, I think, is quite a lonely place. Um, And it's not also just a geographical phenomenon. It's not just a city planning thing. In the last several decades, we have experienced a rapid decline in community in the U.S. Robert Putnam, in his book appropriately entitled Bowling Alone, writes that social capital or the network of relationships that enables a society to function effectively has dramatically decreased since the 1960s. Any and all forms of community, particularly those that require any kind of commitment, are dying out. The main factor to this decrease in connection and relationship Putnam found is technology individualizing people's leisure time via TV and the internet. As a result, Americans are lonelier than ever You can look on the web and find a variety of statistics, but one uh, study that came out recently found that three in five Americans consider themselves lonely. And millennials and Gen Zers are among the most lonely. We've probably all heard how technology is making us more lonely, how we're constantly connected, and yet our communal, emotional, physical, mental health are all deteriorating 
and I would say also our spiritual health. Studies by the American Psychological Association have shown that loneliness is just as much of a public health hazard as obesity, if not more so. Social isolation, loneliness, or living alone each played a significant role in premature death. And according to another study, loneliness is worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Not only all of this, but there is a clear link between radical individualism in the US and increasing polarization of people who are different. Particularly right now, we feel this politically, right? Lonely, isolated people turn towards tribes of like-minded people united behind common enemies. We become increasingly polarized and partisan, hiding behind our phones and hurling insults across enemy lines via Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever your platform of choice. Whew. Well, with that as our backdrop, our current reality, the question for us becomes, does Jesus offer a different way? Does the way of Jesus offer any kind of answer to these problems of loneliness and isolation, division and radical individualism? Well, I believe that the answer is yes, through transformative relationships and in community. Let's turn to our scripture passage for today. We are in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. You'll find it on your bulletin or on the screens. Um, here, the context is that Jesus has begun his public ministry. He's just called his disciples to follow him. And he's currently sitting and teaching those new disciples, new followers, about what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, what this new reality is going to be. And from what we can tell, a crowd has begun to gather around him, as it often seems to do in the Gospels. And teaching them, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you pray with me? God, we come here this morning in need of a word, a word of hope. I know that each one of us in this room has experienced loneliness at some point, and maybe we're currently feeling it. We long to be transformed by you. So would you open our ears and our eyes, open our minds and our hearts to receive from your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage makes this claim. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now, in Jewish thought, the word heart referred to more than just one little part of you. Heart referred to the core of your being, your deepest desire, the very thing that motivates all of your actions. It's like the engine for your life. And theologian and author James K.A. Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, writes, 
Your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. This is because our action, our doing, bubbles up from our loves. So perhaps our passage could say, where your treasure is, there your life will be. There your life will be lived. So I wonder, what do you treasure? If someone were to take your Google calendar, your budget, your transaction history, your phone searches, which is illegal, they shouldn't do that. But if someone were to do that, or you gave someone permission to, what would it reveal about what you love and where you are investing your life? Smith goes on to say that Jesus's command to follow him is a command to align our loves and our longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where God is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. So what does a life aligned with Jesus's look like? What are the core components of life in the kingdom of God? Well, I believe that a life aligned with Jesus's is a life lived in community. If you have a Bible, turn with me a few chapters on to Matthew 9, verse 9, or you can also read along on the screen. Do we have the next passage? As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, as a sidebar, I'm always amazed by how quickly people seem to get up and follow Jesus, right? They leave their work day behind with like no, no doubt, no question. There's no break time in between the invitation and the response. Either Jesus must have been super compelling or maybe these people were just super fed up with their day jobs. But regardless, Matthew follows him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, and notice that Jesus goes on to Matthew's turf, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responds, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, as much as we are trained to think bad guys, whenever we hear or see Pharisees in the gospel stories, here the Pharisees are pointing out something that's important for us to notice. Jesus has invited a tax collector to be a part of his community. And tax collectors were notorious for swindling people, looking out for only their own interests and assisting in the Roman oppression of the Jewish people. Tax collectors also interacted with the Gentiles, people who in Jewish law were considered unclean. Jewish people historically had avoided contact with the Gentiles in order to maintain their own unique sense of identity as the chosen people of God. So the tax collectors in this story are at best people to be avoided and at worst people to be hated. They're slimy, they're untrustworthy. And yet this is who Jesus hand selects to follow him and to share a meal with him. 
Not only that, but our passage says that many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with them. And this makes sense, right? Because if you're a tax collector, who are you friends with? Other tax collectors. So they all gather at Matthew's house. And no wonder that the Pharisees are confused about this gathering. I have no doubt that the disciples were also deeply confused. But if you are familiar with the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, this is a familiar theme. Wherever Jesus goes, he seems to attract unexpected, surprising, illogical, diverse community. Community that doesn't allow people to escape unchanged. So what are we seeing here about community? First and most basically, Jesus himself lives in community. Jesus invests his life in community. And this is significant because if the very son of God didn't go it alone through life, I wonder what that could mean for our lives. In our passage in Matthew and throughout the Gospels, Jesus is depicted as traveling around with his band of disciples, teaching and healing crowds and sharing meals with people then we could zoom out even further and spend a while unpacking a theology of the Trinity, which I know you guys would love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what does it mean that God is three in one? It must mean something about God's relationality, his intrinsic mutuality and sharing and relationship. This is the God in whose image we are created. So if Jesus himself dwelt in community, that means that a call to follow Jesus is a call to join his community. When Jesus called Matthew, it wasn't a solo, like God and me kind of call. It was a call to be a part of a community. It was also a call for him to invite along his friends, right? As we see in that passage. The second thing that we've seen here is that community is messy and diverse. Maybe you can imagine some of the tension in the room that night at Matthew's house. The disciples are sharing a meal with these despised tax collectors and sinners. They're probably feeling not only a little bit awkward, but also wondering maybe whether they should bolt. And if we pan out again to the rest of the gospel narrative, We see that Jesus' core community, the disciples, they're not exactly a harmonious bunch. One time, one of their mums gets involved and tries to kind of bargain with Jesus and ask for Jesus to give her sons some special treatment to put them at the right and left hand of the father. And that makes the rest of the disciples pretty angry, or a word that I'm not going to say up here. Peter is impulsive and not always a team player. He even goes so far as to deny Jesus and his affiliation with the disciples. Judas ends up betraying the trust of the community and turning Jesus over to be murdered. But these are the people at whose center Jesus plants himself. Jesus shares life, shares himself with the treacherous, the outcast, the belligerent with all of us. The only thing that unites this community, the disciples and the tax collectors, not social class, not political party, not ethnicity, not level of education, not maturity, not age, not chemistry. The only thing that unites them is Jesus Christ. 
So what does this mean for us, San Marino Community Church? If we are truly called to have our hearts, our loves, our desires, our whole lives transformed by Jesus, to invest our treasure where Jesus invested his, and I believe that we are, then we must become a people who seek out, create, and dwell in authentic community. One of our most basic desires intrinsic to our humanity is this desire to know and be known. This is why when God creates the first human in Genesis 2.18, he says, it is not good for you to be alone. I will make a partner suitable for you. This is the first thing in creation to be declared not good, a human without human connection. This is why babies who do not receive adequate attention from their primary caregiver will grow up finding it hard to trust others and to build good relationships. This is why isolation, lack of meaningful social connection leads to loneliness. Because we are born, we are created with a need for human connection. To be seen and to see, to be known and to know, to be loved and to love. And we have an opportunity here to offer something different to the world around us, right? Something other than that loneliness, isolation, tribalism, individualism. As people united by nothing other than Jesus Christ, seeking to become more like Jesus and to live lives of mercy and justice and healing and welcome. We have an opportunity to be a prophetic presence in the world, the body of Christ, the church, Christians, followers of Jesus, whatever you want to call us, we should offer a foretaste of the fullness of the kingdom of God to those around us. This is going to require intentionality and a risk, and it will likely be kind of messy, just as it was for Jesus. The year after I graduated college, um, I did a year-long fellowship program on the eastern shore of Maryland. We studied theology, philosophy, and culture. We worked in an on-site conference center, cleaning rooms and waiting on tables and cooking under a, a very angry chef. We also lived together, 12 men and, or sorry, six men and six women, 12 people in total, in one small secluded house on the Chesapeake Bay. You can maybe imagine some of the drama, how annoyed we got with each other, the personality clashes, the love triangles, the family meetings to address issues between us. It's kind of like Christian real world. And my heart aches for that community whenever I think about that year. Because that was a time in my life when I felt so deeply known and seen. Because when you're in such close proximity for so long, there is no hiding, right? Anyone who's ever had a family member, a roommate, or a spouse knows that. You're laid bare with all your wonderfulness and all of your selfishness. During that year, I was going through some chronic health struggles And I was also struggling to believe that God was good in the midst of it. And these sisters and brothers stuck with me. They prayed relentlessly for my healing when I couldn't. They cried with me. They encouraged me. 
They journeyed with me as I wove my way back that year to God's heart through the person of Jesus, our suffering servant. We also mourned with Kat when her dad was diagnosed with brain cancer, and we celebrated with Caleb and Shannon when they got engaged. We were committed to walking alongside of each other in the joys and in the sorrows and in the sometimes monotony of day-to-day life. Now, I know most of us are never going to live our lives in such an intense type of community, and there's a reason that that year is only one year, that fellowship program. I know the introverts here are kind of sick thinking about it. But as scary as it is, community is Jesus' school of love. Community is the way that the Holy Spirit transforms our loves and our lives. Our family, our friends, our closest relationships are the training ground for love. It's the place that we mess up. We learn humility. We ask for and extend forgiveness. We lean into God and to one another, and we are remade. So I want to turn it to you now. Are there ways that you have built up walls, played it safe, contributed to division and separation and isolation in this community? Have you stayed away from others out of fear or judgment or maybe just a desire for efficiency, which is really just self-interest? Are we willing to take a step toward the other as Jesus did to risk rubbing shoulders with each other, to risk having our lives, our worldviews, our carefully planned out schedules interrupted? How can we deepen the relationships that we already have so that they might actually become places of transformation? And what if San Marino Community Church could become known as a place where we are people of love, people of welcome, people who truly know each other. In this moment, I am going to invite us to a little bit of risk and disruption. We're going to practice some of what I preached. Um, You might have heard of small talk versus big talk. My husband, Will, is very into big talk. We have a deck of big talk cards. But it's kind of a way of pushing our conversations a little bit deeper to require a little more vulnerability of each other in order that we can actually connect. So given flu season and coronavirus precautions and all of that, we are going to avoid any touching. So no handshaking. Um, But I do want you to turn to the people around you, preferably someone who's not in your family, um, or maybe two people from a family can turn to somebody who's not in your family. Maybe give an elbow bump and say who you are if you don't know that person. And then you're going to answer this question, which is up on the screen. When have you been a part of a transformative relationship or community? And what made it so transformative? Now, no one is going to be forced to do this. If you are like cringing at the thought of doing this in a, you know, you really can't do it, that is okay. So you're welcome to just sit and reflect on what you've heard. You're welcome to go get a coffee whatever it is that that keeps you feeling okay. Um, But I am going to challenge you. I know it's a little bit uncomfortable. We don't always do this. Um, But I'd I'd like us to try and practice some of this. How could we be a community that actually knows each other?
All right, we ready? We're gonna just take three minutes and then I'm gonna come back and close this. So turn to the people around you. As I close, um, I want you to think about one small step that you could take toward responding to Jesus' invitation to follow him in community. You're gonna start where you're at, right? One step. Often community is built around the table, as it is in Matthew 9. Maybe you could invite a couple people to come over, share a meal, and share life stories. Maybe you want to start a prayer text chain or something like that. Maybe you just need to reconcile with someone in this community. Maybe it's a stretch for you to linger a little bit longer at the end of the service and just introduce yourself to someone. Whatever it is, I'm inviting us to risk knowing and being known for the hope of our transformation and the renewal of the world around us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you invite us to store up treasures in heaven, to invest our lives our whole hearts into things that have eternal significance. You lived your life in close, honest relationship, and you have invited us to share in that life. God, would you equip and empower us to be a people open to those around us, a people marked by welcome, love, forgiveness, honesty, a people marked by justice, a people held together by you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.